Well, good morning and welcome to Front Range. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys good? Right on. Hey, my name is Brandon Yates. I'm the student pastor here, which means I oversee 4th through 6th or 12th grade. And uh, it's just great to see you. Whether you call Front Range your home, you're in this place, you're online, we're just stoked that you guys are here with us. Now, uh, by show of hands, how many of you guys would be honest enough to say that your pants are fitting a little bit tighter today than they should, right? Sign of a good Thanksgiving. Would anyone be brave enough to say, raise your hand, that you stay in stretchy sweatpants all day on Thanksgiving. You guys are the real heroes. Like, good job. That's just, I aspire to be that one day. Uh, but my wife won't let me leave the house with sweatpants on um, and go to family events. I have to get all dressed up and stuff. So, hey, we are a church that exists to help people build community, discover their purpose, and grow in their faith in Jesus. And uh, we're just excited to be with you guys. Hey, I got a couple things to share with you real quick. Everybody say next week. I'm the student pastor, so I have to get people talking back to me sometimes. Next week, we are kicking off a new series called At the Movies. Now, At the Movies is one of my favorite series that we do as a church. This year, we are going to take popular Christmas movies, and we're going to pull out biblical truths from those movies. Next week, we're kicking it off with Home Alone. I can't wait to see what Pastor does with Kevin McAllister. Uh, it's going to be awesome. So uh, make sure you spread the word. Invite your friends, because uh, this series is going to be a blast. Uh, like Steve just said as well, we're in the middle of a six-week initiative called Love in Action, um, where our goal is to raise $120,000 to give it away um, to church plant, to local organization, um, and then part of my heart is international missions. And two of our partners that deal with international missions are Bread of Life Missions, which is based in Kenya and does their work in uh, Kenya and South Sudan to reach the unreached people groups in that area. And then Mana World Wide, which is a newer partner of ours based in Colombia. Uh, now, when we partner with them, uh, we help support missionaries on the ground as well as sponsoring kids who uh, need food, they need clothes, and even uh, providing education uh, that they might not otherwise get. So uh, by you guys pouring into this initiative and giving your generosity and uh, money towards that, you're able to do that. So I just want to say thank you. One of the cool things is we're actually going to be taking three trips next year, uh, two to Kenya, one to Columbia. If you want more information on that, you can find those in the booklet as well. And if you would like to give to Love in Action, uh, there's information in the booklet. There's a QR code on the screen behind me that you'll be able to give. And then if you're online, um, there's going to be a little link in that bio as well. To date, so far, we have raised $56,474. So we got a little bit more to go, but we're believing that God is going to move in a powerful way. And so I just want to say thank you for your generosity as a church to give to this initiative. It's changing things for people all across the world. Now, Thanksgiving, uh, the holiday season, the kickoff of the holiday season um, is, is one of those seasons where we're supposed to be thankful, where we're supposed to focus on the things that we are thankful for. But if we're honest, sometimes the kickoff of the holiday season can actually bring some real drama. Right? It can bring some real, like, Cousin Eddie type vibes to the family. Have any of you guys ever been there? You get the phone call from a family member and they're like, hey, Cousin Eddie's coming over. Maybe it's Uncle Hubert or Uncle Bill. I don't know. Like, you know that crazy family member. You get the phone call and then you're, they, you're like, hey, they're coming too. And you're like, oh no, should, should I play sick so I don't have to go? Or should I just buy a new camera and ring light so I can videotape the whole thing because it's going to be a disaster? Anybody else ever experienced something like that? Yeah, sometimes the holidays can be a 
a little bit wild, but if we're being honest with ourselves, sometimes you can look at it a little funny, but in reality, sometimes it brings some real pain. Sometimes it brings some real doubt, and some real hopelessness. See, for some of us, this is the first Thanksgiving, the first holiday season that we're celebrating without a loved one. For some of us, we're celebrating without a job. Some of us, we're celebrating just hoping that we'll even make it through this season. And some of us, if we're being honest, can't even find it in us to celebrate at all. And I get that. My family's there too. Our Thanksgiving table looked very different this year than we ever expected it to. So you aren't alone. But I believe that the best place for us to be is in church with fellow followers of Jesus, with other people who are hurting, who are doubting, who are questioning, who are broken, who are seeking hope, who are seeking an encounter with Jesus. And so before we start, let's pray real quick. Jesus, we love you. God, we pray that you would speak to us. God, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to receive the truth from you. God, would you give us hope when we need hope? Would you give us peace where we need peace? But ultimately, Jesus, would you be glorified? In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to be uh, dissecting a little bit of the story of Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. So Abraham and Sarah, their story starts out in Genesis chapter 11. Don't worry, we're going to be in the New Testament for this. We're going to be in Romans chapter 4. But I want to give you just a quick glimpse, uh, a little bit of the story of Abraham and Sarah because it's kind of wild, right? Abraham and Sarah, they desire to have a child, but they can't conceive. And God does this kind of orchestrates this path, this path, and a lot of crazy things happen. At one point, uh, God tells Abraham, he says, hey, pack up your whole family and move. And Abraham's like, where? And he's like, move, and I'll show you. Right? Like, how many of you wives would trust your husband if he was like, we're moving? Where? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Ugh, right? So they move. They, they pack up their family. They go. They end up in Egypt. And when they're in Egypt, they have an encounter with Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh is like, yo, Sarah, you got it going on. And Abraham's like, uh, what do I do? I don't want to die, so I can't say that she's my wife because he'll kill me to take her. So he's like, yeah, it's my sister. Cool, you can have her. And they get married. A bunch of crazy, terrible stuff happens to Pharaoh. You can read about it uh, on your own time. But this crazy stuff happens. Uh, Pharaoh finds out that this is actually Abraham's wife. And he's like, go back to your husband. Get out of Egypt. Y'all are causing way too much drama around here. This is terrible. Right? So they leave. They go to Cana. And then 10 years later, 10 years later, they still don't have a child. And so Sarah's like, I've got this taken care of. I'll take this into my own hands, my own brilliant idea. She's like, Abraham, why don't you have a child with my servant, Hagar? And Abraham's like, okay. Don't, I don't know why. Don't ask. That's just what they, I don't, it's weird. But they did it. They had a son. They named him Ishmael. Abraham was 85 years old. I can't imagine having a kid at 85 I don't know what it's like to be 85. I guess I'll ask Pastor Ernest when he gets back. Um, haha, I can say stuff like that because he's not here. <laughs> so they have their kid. About 14 years later, God's promise actually comes to Abraham and Sarah that you will have a child. Abraham, you will be a father to many nations. You'll have a son, and you'll name him Isaac. 14 years later. 
okay? This happens. Now, what do you think happened when the promise of God came to Abraham and Sarah? They laughed. Ha! And that was it. They laughed. Why'd they laugh? Because at this time, Abraham is 99 years old. Sarah's about 90 years old. Good night. I'm 36 and I'm done with babies. I'm done with diapers. I'll love your baby. Like, I just, I'm done. I, don't, I can't imagine what it would be like. But some time goes, a year passes, some crazy stuff happens, and the promise of God comes true for Abraham and Sarah. They give birth to their son. They celebrate all in the face of overwhelming odds. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Romans, chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one. You can go to the blue tent on your way out. We've got Bibles we'd love to give you. Or if you have a smartphone, if you don't, I'm sorry, but if you do, uh, you can go to your app store and download the YouVersion Bible app. That's a phenomenal resource as well. Um, but I tell you that backstory because we're going to take a look at, at a little bit of scripture where Paul kind of tells this story to encourage, to equip, to help people grow. And I believe that there's a few things in there that no matter where we find ourselves today, that there are some truths that we can hold on to, apply to our, our, to our lives, and actually find hope and peace in the midst of seasons where we might not see that. So Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 17, says this, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. You, he is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to dead and calls into being things that were not. Verse 17 is important. Hold on to that. Verse 18 continues. It says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offsprings be. Verse 18, important, hold on to it. Verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Verse 19 is important. You catching a theme here? Verse 20 continues, it says, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. Verse 21, it continues, he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Now, one thing I want us to understand when we read this story, when I unpack this story, and oftentimes when we read scripture is we see the whole story, right? We see that there was a beginning. We see that there was a middle. And we see that there was an end, now, Abraham and Sarah, as they're walking through this story, they don't know what the outcome is truthfully, fully, actually going to be, but they take steps of faith and obedience and listen to God. Did they do some crazy things? Yeah. Did they do some stuff that even I wouldn't do? Yeah, but haven't we all? Right? But they continued to step through their story. That's not how life is. We don't get the full script. We don't know where we're at in our story. We don't know if we're in the middle. We don't know if we're at the beginning. We don't know if we're at the end. We don't know how God is going to pick up the pieces of the broken situation that I'm going through right now, the broken season. Have you ever found yourself in a season like that? In February, uh, beginning of 2017, actually, the beginning of 2017, my wife and I, uh, at the time we had two kids, uh, Jude and Charlotte. You've seen them running around. They're awesome. And we decided, hey, we're going to have a kid. It's time for us to kind of put a bow on this. We're going to be done. I don't want to be 90, 85, 100, changing diapers. It sounds miserable. I'm just sorry if you, it just does. And we're like, we're going to get this done. And so we get pregnant pretty quick. And 
We tell our kids and we're excited about it. We tell our, we, we gather Charlotte and Jude. Jude was about four at the time. Charlotte was about two, so she didn't really fully understand what was going on. But Jude was all about it. Jude was so excited. And when we told Jude about his first sister, Charlotte, that we were pregnant with her, uh, from the very beginning, he was like, it's a girl. It's going to be a girl. So we just kind of rolled with it. We were like, hey, if you like, sweet, let's go. And he was right. And so when we told him, he was like, this is going to be a boy, and we're going to name him Elijah. And I was like, awesome. I love that. And so every night we'd go to bed, we'd pray for baby Elijah, he'd pray for baby Elijah, we'd get excited, he'd talk about how he was going to do this and teach him to do this and do all of these cool things. And the excitement and the buzz that kind of came around, it was so, so exciting, it was, it was almost life-giving. And then on February 6th of that year, my wife and I found ourselves in a hospital room as the brokenness of miscarriage entered our home. And instantly, excitement turned to fear, and joy turned to overwhelming sadness. And then we had to go home, and we had to tell our two young kids that our baby wouldn't be coming home with us. And I don't have to tell you that the next few days, weeks, months, and even years weren't dark, weren't hard, weren't filled with moments of anger and doubt and questioning and fear. And I wish that was the only story of loss in our, in our, in our story, but if I'm being truthful, our, our entire story is filled with stories of loss. But what I know is that we're not the only ones who are going through pain. We're not the only ones who have experienced loss. We're not the only ones who have experienced that hopelessness and that fear, but what I want you to know is that I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're in the room today because there's truth that when we dive into the word of God that we can pull out and no matter where we're at on our story or what we're walking through or the circumstances that are surrounding us, there's a truth in the word of God that we can hold on to when there's nothing else to hold on to. So the first thing that we can hold on to, that we can actually learn from the story of Abraham and Sarah and apply to our lives is this, that God's promises help me to overcome my hopelessness. God's promises help me to overcome my hopelessness. When I look at the word of God, when I look at the stories in scripture, when I see how God has been faithful with his promises in the past, it gives me a faith, it gives me a courage, it gives me a boldness to hold on to his promises for my life here and now. Verse 18 starts out against all hope. Against all hope. Against man's hope. Against man's logic. Against their understanding. Against my current circumstances. Against everything. I think some of us, when we need hope the most, our, our verse 18 kind of stops there. And that's what we see. We sit in that place of against our circumstances, against the reality, and we look at those things, and we allow other people to dictate what we put our hope in and where we get our hope against all hope. But verse 18 continues and it says, Abraham in hope believed. It says, Abraham in hope believed and so he became. He sat in the place of hope and believed. Verse 19, it says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was dead as well. Reality was screaming in Abraham's face. 
He's almost 100 years old, and God, you're telling me I'm going to have a kid? Yeah, right. Sarah, 90 years old. Haven't had a kid yet. But even in the midst of their reality, they sat in the place of hope, which is founded in the promises of God that he's good, that he's faithful, that he is capable to do what he promised he would do. See, we can't place our hope in the natural and expect to see the supernatural. We can't place our hope in the reality of the situation. Do we look at it? Do we face it? Absolutely. But our hope is in the promises of God. Our hope is in his peace. Abraham placed his peace in God's hope. He believed, and as a result, he saw the promises of God come true in his life. So where do you need peace? Where do you need God's promise to reign in your life? What circumstance have you been living in that against hope? Where the, the circumstances and the reality and the, 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 the understanding is hitting you in the face. And you need to move from sitting in that space, occupying that space, to moving to the place of I'm sitting in the hope of God. I'm sitting in his promise. I'm sitting in his presence. I'm going to experience his joy at some point. What circumstance are you walking through? Maybe you're in here and you have a child who is running away from God and every circumstance, every bit of reality is telling you there is no hope. There's no hope. No, we're going to turn and we're going to believe that in God there is a hope. I don't know how it's going to happen, but my hope is in God that it will happen. Maybe you're sitting here and your marriage is falling apart and there's no hope. Look what's happened. Look what I've done. Look what I've said and there's no hope. No, I'm going to move from this space and I'm going to move over here to in hope with God. I'm going to believe that he's going to move. Maybe you're over here and you've been given a diagnosis of no hope and we're sitting with the reality staring in our face and it's scary and it's frightening, but I'm going to choose to move even in the midst of my doubt to the place of hope and peace where I hold on to the promises of God. Against all hope, we hold on to the hopes and the promises of God. Maybe you're in this place and you're like, I don't even know what to hold on to anymore. Everything's such a mess, I don't know what to hold on to. You can hold on to the fact that our God is good. You can hold on to the truth that he is always for you. You can hold on to the truth that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. You can hold on to the hope and the truth and the reality that when you are in his presence, he can bring a joy and a peace that surpasses understanding. You can hold on to the truth that God will give you strength when you need it. See, Abraham had every reason from a human standpoint to give up the attempt to have a child with his wife. He had every reason to give up that. Yet his faith was firmly built in the hopes and the promises of God. So he continued to believe. He continued to hold on to that. You may have every reason from an earthly perspective, from a human perspective, to give up hope. To give in. But we're going to change our perspective from an earthly perspective to a heavenly perspective where we are founded and placed and firmly stay in the place of God and experiences hope, experiences peace, the creator of the universe, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we're going to hold on to his promises because God's promises help me to overcome my hopelessness. The second thing that we learn from Abraham and Sarah's story here is, is to, pr to praise even in the doubt. 
is to praise even in the doubt. It's easy for us to read the Bible and to think that Abraham and these other characters in the Bible were like superpower, superhero, like something amazing about them. They're different than me. In reality, they're just like you and me. Abraham was just like you and me. He had fears, he had doubts, he had anxiety, he had hopes, he had a plan, he had a purpose, like all of these things. Abraham was very much just like you and I. In verse 20 it says, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. How did Abraham, how do you and I, how do we give glory to God in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our fear? It continues in verse 21. It says that he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Why did he praise God? Because Abraham was fully convinced. He was full of faith. Abraham never allowed his doubts to dictate his beliefs. That's Abraham. He refused to hope in the reality. He placed his hope in in, in God, not in his circumstances. He believed that God could do what he promised he would do. That's Abraham. Now, my wife and I, we got married uh, about 12 years ago, and on our honeymoon, we went to Mexico. And we went to Mexico because my grandma-in-law had a timeshare, and she gave it to us, and we were broke. And so we went to Mexico, and it was awesome. I loved it. I want to go back. Mexico is awesome. One of the things we got to do while we were in Mexico was we took an ATV tour of the, the local village and the town and the forest and different stuff, and it was beautiful. If you ever have a chance to go on an ATV tour in Mexico, do it, because it's rad. It was a blast. But I remember when we got ready for the tour, there was this family that was going on the tour with us, and there was this dad who, who was one of these guys, like, you just look up to because he knows everything about everything. Have you ever met someone like that? Like, you're just in awe because they're so smart, they know everything. No, like, they just know everything because they think they know everything. In reality, they probably know nothing. Um, that was this kind of dad. And the entire time we were getting ready for the trip, and even while we were on the trip, he doubted the, the, the guide's uh, ability. He doubted his knowledge. He doubted everything about him. He told them how they should be taking care of the ATVs, told them how they should be grooming the trails, told them how we should be going left instead of right. Like all of these things, he just doubted the, the, the guide the entire time. He criticized him the entire time. And finally, the guide pretty much looked at him and was like, listen, dude, you can shut up and you can trust me or you can get off. Like you can get out. You can park it right there and get out. You know what the guy did? He shut up. He stopped and he decided that he wasn't going to doubt. He decided that he was going to finally trust. And for some of us, do we trust God enough even in our doubts to praise him? Or do we just trust God enough to criticize him in the midst of them? Are we willing to praise God in the midst of our doubts? How do we gain trust? How do do we gain this ability to overcome these things? We spend time with God. You're having a hard time to sit in the presence of God. You need to spend more time with him. I want to trust God more, spend time with him, talk to him, listen to him, read his word, hide his word in your heart, get to know his character, get to know him as a person, get to know his voice. God isn't speaking to me. No, he's speaking. You just don't know his voice enough to distinguish it from the noise around you. I spend time with him throughout Abraham's story. We see him spending time with God. We see him sitting with God. We see him conversating with God. We, he, we see him listening and obeying and taking steps and obeying in, in obedience to God. And we see him praising God throughout his story. We see him praising God throughout his story. See, Abraham didn't praise God because everything was great. 
Abraham didn't praise God because of his circumstances. We don't praise God because of our circumstances. We praise God through our circumstances. See, we don't praise God because life is good. We praise God because he is good, even when my story isn't. Psalms 24, verse 1 starts out and says, I will praise the Lord at all times. Man, that's an easy verse to read. That's an easy verse to read. I'll praise the Lord at all times. Will we? Do we? Do we praise the Lord at all times? We don't praise God because everything in my life is going the exact way it should. No, we praise God because he's worthy, because he's capable, because he is faithful, because he is mighty, because he sees me, because he's my God. Do we believe those things or do we just regurgitate them? The verses we hide in our heart that we're able to quote, the hopes and the promises that we're able to hope, do we just regurgitate them or do we sit in them? Do we hold onto them? Do we believe them? See, some people don't come to Jesus or some people don't go far with Jesus because they don't fully believe that God is able to do the things that he has promised he's able to do. And they look at their circumstances, they look at what's going on in their life and they say, God can do that for you. God can bring the hope that you need. God can bring the healing that you need. But for me, it's different. For my story, it's different because you don't know the details of my life. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible. You're right, with your understanding, with your logic, with your knowledge, it is impossible, but it continues. But with God, all things are possible. See, I praise God because all things are possible through him, not because all things happen my way in him. Not because it's always my way. We've got to be willing to praise God in the doubt. And the last thing that we can learn is this, that God has the final say. God has the final say. See, when we become fully convinced of this truth, that God has the final say, then there is a peace that comes that the Bible says surpasses understanding. My circumstances, the situation around me says there is no reason that I should have peace, but I'm gonna go to God and see that he has the final word so that I have a peace and a hope that surpasses understanding. God has the final say. When we believe that, when we hold on to it, when we embrace it, whatever situation you're going on, just hold on to that for a moment. God has the final say. It doesn't mean that he's going to bring back that family member. It doesn't mean that we're going to receive that healing. It doesn't necessarily mean that can he do all that stuff. Absolutely. But no matter what, I know my God has the final say. I know my God is true. When God speaks, things happen. We just sang a song, when God speaks, when he moves, mountains can move, chains can fall, addictions can break. Let's go back to the beginning of this story in verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed in. I want you to hold on to this. Write it down. It says, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. See, my God has the ability to speak and create. He has the ability to call and come. He has the ability to own everything, to speak. When he speaks, it is true. And I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I need him to speak and him to own and him to have the final say. And I can wipe my hands and I can say, God, I just trust you. I may have doubts. I may have fears. I may have questions. But God, I'm going to place my hope and my trust in you because I know you have the final say. God said it, so that settles it. You guys ever heard that before? God said it, so that settles it. 
uh, if you're a parent in the room, you have a saying that is similar to, to that, that you use, uh, and you think it has the same power. And uh, it's, it's a phrase, and you can probably finish it, but it's because I said so. Be- because I said so, right? How many of you guys have ever found yourself in a conversation like that? Most of us, especially if you're a parent, because I said so. Now, how confident are we that what you just said is actually going to stick? Like 20% tops that you're that confident. You're like, I'm going to see it. Oh, I hope it actually happens. Uh, This past Halloween, uh, we we took our kids shopping for their costumes. Now, uh, you can hold your judgment to yourself. Don't really care. Uh, We went shopping for Halloween costumes, okay? Uh, And we went to the store, and we're walking around. I don't get dressed up for Halloween. I show up for Halloween for one thing, and that's for the dad tax. It's when I get to steal my kids' candy. It's the best part about it. And uh, so we go shopping for these costumes, and we get into the store. We're walking around, and my kids are all excited. And we walk by some couples' costumes, and my wife, who kind of dresses up for Halloween, is like, we should do a couples' costume. And I was like, no, not doing it. No, absolutely not. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it. And my kids were so excited. Instantly, they were like, yeah, let's do it. And they're running everywhere, and they're grabbing costumes off the shelf. and like, you should be this, and like all these other things. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm not. I'm, no, I'm putting my foot down, right? You've been there. I'm putting my foot down. I'm not doing it. Why, Dad? Because I said so. <laughs> Welcome to my Halloween. Because I said so really works well. Stupid bunny costume. All right, you can take it down. Good. But I wonder if sometimes we find it hard to believe that God has the final say. We find it hard to firmly plan ourselves on the promises and the hopes from God. Because we have an inventory of our mind of dozens and dozens of situations that we can recall at a moment's notice where so-and-so has let me down. Where so-and-so has promised this and haven't followed through. Where so-and-so said this to hurt me. And oftentimes what we do is we read scripture through the lens of skepticism and the lens of those past experiences where we, we say they let me down. Or I've let myself down, so how can this be true? It's easy for us to do that when we read through the lens of skepticism. But what if we actually took God at his word? What if we actually believed and trust that God had the final say that when he speaks, things happen. That everything that he speaks is true and trustworthy and pure. And that we can actually hold on to it as a hope and a truth for our life. That when nothing else is able to sustain us, that the hope and the truth of God is enough. John 17 says that your word is true. Proverbs 30 says that every word from God is pure. Psalms 18 says that as for God, his way is perfect. Now I'm not saying that the situation you're going through is perfect. That's not what I'm saying at all because the situations that we've walked through this past year are not perfect. They're far from it. But it doesn't mean that the hope that comes from God, that the peace that comes from God, that the trust that I can have in God is any different. I love Proverbs 16.1 says this. It says, we humans make plans. We have our own desires. We have our own wills. We think we know how everything should be done. It should work like this. It should look like this. It should happen. In this timeline, it should happen. But the verse continues. It says, but the Lord has the final 
word. The Lord has the final word. God has the final say. The question is, are we seeking him to hear what he's saying? Are we slowing down enough? Are we calming down enough? Are we turning the volumes in our lives down enough to actually hear what he says? And then are we willing to obey him even when it doesn't make any sense? But because you said it, God, I believe it's true. Let's recap real quick. What can we learn from the story of Abraham and Sarah? That God's promises help me to overcome my hopelessness. We can praise even in the doubts and that God has the final say. And you might be in this place or you might be watching online and you might be saying, yeah, that all works for you, Brandon. You might have experienced that or, or, or you have a ton of different reasons as to why it wouldn't work for what you're going through. And you're right, I don't know what you're going through. But what I do know is on February 6th as we sat there and we held each other's hand, my wife and I, in that hospital room and we finally heard those words from the doctor that we can't find a heartbeat. And utter devastation took us over. We couldn't do anything but hold each other and cry. We couldn't do anything but hold each other and weep. And then when we finally got our breath, we decided to seek God. And we chose to move from the against all hope over to in God's hope. In some way, somehow, God, you can take this. God, you can use this. God, you can bring healing. And we sought God together, we prayed. We held on to his hope and promise that somehow, someday, some way, he would do this and we praised God. Not because of the situation we were in, but because God is good. And I don't say that to make it seem like my wife and I are anything special or we have powers. No, we were completely and totally devastated and broken and had nothing else to do. Didn't even know what to do. But in that moment, we chose to sit in the place of hope to sit in the place of peace. So where do you need to sit in the place of hope? Where do you need to sit in the place of peace? Where do you need God to intervene? Where do you need God to speak his truth over your life? Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you. God, we give you everything that we're walking through. God, would you have your way in our circumstances, in our lives? But God, right now, would you give us the hope that we need? God, would you give us the joy that we need? God, would you give us the peace that surpasses all understanding? God, we choose to hope in you. We choose to trust in you. So help us move the focus off our reality and onto your goodness. Maybe you're in this place today and you want this hope and you want this peace that we've been talking about, but you don't know who this Jesus is. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago and lived a perfect, sinless life to be the sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins so that you could have a relationship with him, so that you could know him, so that you could experience his forgiveness, his hope, his peace, and his presence. Maybe you're here and you're walking through something 
and you want that, you need that desperately, you want to give your life to Jesus, I just want you to raise your hand just as a way of saying, Jesus, I need you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. And then maybe there's some of us here who who just need that touch of hope, who need that, who need an encounter with Jesus. We've been following, we've been listening, we've been obeying, we've been calling, and today that we need him to meet us where we are. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. You need his hope, you need his peace, you need his joy. Jesus, we trust you. God, would you meet your children here? God, would you speak to us? Would you give us that hope and that peace that we need that we know only comes with an encounter with you? God, we love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.